welcome to this week's edition of Honestly Speaking with Tara Setmayer, where telling the truth in a time of universal deceit is a revolutionary act. There is so much to unpack. Oh my goodness gracious. We've had the DNC, the Democrats finally put on their convention virtually. I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about the Steve Bannon arrest. Oh my goodness gracious. Um... You know, you never like to revel in other people's demise, but <laughs> no one more deserving than that bastard Steve Bannon. And my guest this week is Greg Keeley, who founded a new organization of national security and military experts called the Council on American Security. And we're going to talk about the release of the final Senate Intelligence Committee report, some of the findings in there about Russian collusion and influence from 2016. Pretty remarkable, considering it's a bipartisan report, and um, it basically backs up everything we already knew. But to see it and come out of a bipartisan committee in Congress is pretty remarkable. And he's also going to, we're going to talk about um, what's going on with the Russian bounties and the reason why so many people in the intelligence community are just over Donald Trump and see him as an existential threat. And Greg Keeley is a very cool guy. We, we work together on the Hill Many moons ago, he was a press secretary at the same time that I was for Cal- a California member, Congressman Ed Royce, when I was working for Rohrabacher. That's how we met um, back in uh, back in the day. And he's cool because he's Australian by birth. Uh, he's an American citizen now, but he served in both the Royan, Royal Australian Navy and he retired as a lieutenant commander in the U.S. Navy. So he's an awesome guy, hilarious, and it's a really, really fun conversation. So stay tuned for that. Okay, let me get right into the Steve Bannon arrest because, I mean, there's a lot There's a lot that happened this week. It's been a really bad week for Trump world. Um, but we can add Steve Bannon's mugshot now to the growing list of Trump lackeys part of the criminal enterprise that has followed Donald Trump into the White House and throughout his his presidency. So we've got Michael Cohen, his personal attorney, in prison, well, convicted, out of prison now on house arrest. Michael Flynn, former national security advisor, convicted. Manafort, the president's former campaign manager, convicted in prison. Rick Gates, his deputy campaign manager, worked under Gates for, uh, worked under Manafort for years, also convicted. Roger Stone, convicted, sentenced to seven to, I think, seven years in prison, but commuted by the president. So he's out now, but we all know what a criminal bastard Roger Stone is. George Papadopoulos, remember him, the coffee boy, right? He was convicted and sent to prison for uh, not too long, but still convicted. And then you have now Steve Bannon. And God knows who else. (laughs) But what happened with Steve Bannon? Well, most of you already know who Steve Bannon is. And he was the brain behind Trump's winning campaign. Let's just be honest about that. After Manafort was summarily fired, after it was revealed that he had some um, questionable financial things going on between his work for Russian oligarchs over there in Ukraine and that there was a ledger that showed he had illicitly taken $18 million in cash from the Ukrainian government that had been that had been illicitly given to him, uh, you know, paid to him. It's a whole disaster. Paul Manafort's been a creepy, very unethical, 
guy for many years in in Washington. He was the kind of guy that took on clients, foreign clients that were unsavory. So not a shock to anyone who knows Paul Manafort's history. Um, Paul Manafort will come up again in our conversation shortly when I talk about the Senate Intelligence Committee findings, um, because (laughs) any notion that there was no collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia is just out the window now. (laughs) But anyway, that's in a minute. Back to Bannon. So Steve Bannon um, is a guy who wants to bring down the system. He's really smart. He's one of those evil geniuses, which is what makes him so dangerous. He's also a bit of a loose cannon, and he's a greedy fucker, too. So you have all of these things, which are not good characteristics combined. Eventually, karma is going to come back to bite you. Um, Steve Bannon only lasted a couple of months in the administration, if you remember. Uh, he got caught leaking to the press and disparaging the Trump family because he and also trying to he he had delusions of grandeur. His ego got the best of him, thinking that he could be a bigger, more more uh, impactful figure for the cause of populist nationalism than Trump himself. Fatal mistake in Trump world, of course. And so with a combination of all those things, Bannon was fired in in 2017. And what has he been up to since then? Well, he's taken his evil genius roadshow over to Italy in Europe and had been meddling over there. He had he rented out some old Italian monastery as his home base, like as his headquarters, like some some (laughs) Bond villain or more like some kind of uh, Austin Powers villain because he's such a joke. Um, but yeah, he was over there uh, stoking and inflaming some of the uh, right wing groups that are re- reforming over there in Europe against immigration. The five star party, particularly in Italy, that's a whole nother discussion. But he was kind of meddling over there and bringing his his ilk there. Uh, and apparently he's also been running around with some Chinese billionaire who's been paying him a million dollars a year as a contractor to help him with the strategic vision of this media company that this Chinese billionaire is running. Now, where does the Chinese billionaire come into the Steve Bannon arrest? Well, Bannon was arrested originally because of this scheme, this charity scheme uh, for this organization called We Build the Wall. This was started by a triple amputee wounded veteran named uh, Colfage, it's his last name. And he'd been using basically his military credentials and his his injury to get some gain sympathy and favor with people on the Trump in Trump world and Trump supporters because, you know, he's this patriot and this and that. And they've been raising money to build a wall privately along the southern border. Now, when I first heard about this, I thought to myself, OK, this sounds like a bunch of bullshit. You can't just build a private border wall. Um, you'd have to get permission from uh, on someone's private property to do it. It's it's kind of it's complicated. And even if they did, how much are they going to actually build? Like it, it just it was it reeked of fraud. But they're preying on the less educated folks that are that claim that think that they're patriots because they want to protect our borders, right? That's Trump's big message. And he's hooked, hook, hoodwinked a lot of people into thinking that um, this is a threat and that they need to do something about it. So this guy, Colfidge, uh, and these people on the board, who I'll tell you who they were in a minute, 
basically built 25 million people out of these poor, unsuspecting folks who were sending their hard-earned money thinking that they were doing something to help protect America's borders and secure our borders because the government wasn't. $25 million. They had a GoFundMe campaign to do this. And there was scrutiny immediately because this Colfidge guy really had no track record of running a nonprofit organization that was reputable. And so when you're, I mean, $25 million is nothing to sneeze at. That's a large amount of money. And he went out there and, and, and reassured the donors that I'm not taking any money. This is 100% going directly to building the wall. And they had a big whole marketing campaign, fundraising campaign around this. Um, Don Jr. and Kimberly Guilfoyle lent their name to some fundraisers for this. I mean, it was it was Trump world approved. OK, don't let Donald Trump try to bullshit you thinking that he had no idea and that he was against this. Now, they knew and they loved it because his people liked the idea. So now, of course, he's trying to backtrack. But that's bullshit. Also, you know, they like to hold up military guys all the time. Right. And so the the guy, Brian Colfidge, who started this We Build the Wall um, scam, he was he was paraded all over all over the place. And and even the Gary Sinise Foundation, which is legit, they heralded him as a war hero and amputee Purple Heart recipient, which he was. And these kind of guys are the worst kind of people. I don't like how they how someone who's going to use their military service and their injury and then you turn around and you scam people. That's dishonorable in every way. Um, and this is who Steve Bannon got caught up with. And there were some other people who were on the board of this of this scam organization. You had Chris Kobach. Sound familiar? That's the anti-immigration guy from Kansas who ran for Senate unsuccessfully, ran for governor unsuccessfully. He was also the head of Donald Trump's bullshit voter fraud commission. Remember that right after the election? Yeah. Chris Kobach, another total fraud. Sheriff David Clark. Remember him? The, the Milwaukee black sheriff that guy. Total nutcase. Completely not credible. Eric Prince. Yes, the guy, Eric Prince, who ran Blackwater, who's a billionaire, who has also been caught up in the Russia investigation. He's another unsavory guy, um, you know, running private security companies and things overseas. And he's uh, bad news. Uh, You also had who else is on this board? Um, Tom Tancredo, who was a former congressman. Very, very anti-immigration, um, pretty right wing on some of the things. He's like worse than Steve King on that. Um, so you had a, a bunch of folks on here who were lending their name to this effort and raised all this money. And from I think it was one of the largest GoFundMe campaigns ever, successful campaigns ever. So here's another thing about this Brian Colfidge that Steve Bannon got caught up with. Uh, not only... <laughs> Is there this where they're all charged hits him, Brian Colfidge, uh, Bannon and a third guy, Tim Shea, I think his name is. They're all charged with conspiracy to commit wire fraud and um, another count of conspiracy. And (laughs) it was reported back in 2018 when this thing was first introduced that Brian Colfidge was um, part of this business venture called Right Wing News. Uh, 
And I'm reading from an independent story. It says, uh, <clears throat> the right wing news, a Facebook page known to peddle fake news and a ring of affiliate sites that frequently trafficked in conspiracy theories. Right wing news was shut down by Facebook when the social media network cleared out more than 559 pages known to have been used known have been used for uh, using fake accounts to drive traffic to their websites or were ad farms using Facebook to mislead people into thinking that they were forums for legitimate political debate. That's what this guy, Brian Colfidge, did before we build the wall. So he already had a track record of being dishonest and um, which makes this even more infuriating. So they're all arrested. Steve Bannon is arrested, taken into custody by U.S. Postal Service agents. I love the (laughs) apropos nature of that. Good for them. And it's because he was out on a yacht off the coast of Connecticut that the Coast Guard was involved as well, as well as the U.S. Marshals. So it was a pretty robust effort. Southern District of New York was involved in this prosecution, in this investigation. Look out whenever the Southern District, the SDNY is involved, you're in big shit trouble. We also know that the SDNY is the U.S. Attorney's Office that Bill Barr tried to unceremoniously fire Berman, who was the U.S. Attorney who ran that office at the time over the summer, right? In July. Remember that whole flap? Well, now we know why. Because there is the SDNY has been prosecuting and investigating Trump and his associates, Giuliani, uh, Fruman and Pargis, remember those guys, the Russian stuff, uh, the Deutsche Bank stuff, Jeffrey Epstein, and now this. So not it's not a coincidence that Barr targeted the SDNY and tried to install a Trump crony into that position and remove Berman. There are busy bees over there at the SDNY. Um, and now we have this we have this investigation. So Bannon's arrested on this 150 foot mega yacht beautiful yacht, by the way, Google it. And who was the yacht owned by? The yacht is owned by some Chinese billionaire named Gao Wengui or Wengu. I'm totally going to butcher this name. I apologize. So he's going to be the Chinese billionaire from this point on. Um, And this Chinese billionaire is a, a dissident. He fled China, communist China in 2014, apparently, because he was being charged over there with money laundering, fraud, bribery, and rape, apparently. He denies these charges, claims that he's defected to the U.S. and he's now a dissident and that it's his mission in life to expose the the Chinese government for what they're doing. Okay, sounds noble enough, except that there are some huge questions about this guy and about what he's doing. Apparently, Steve Bannon has been employed by him with a one million dollar contract, consulting contract for this media company that this guy, this Chinese billionaire started. And that's supposed to be a platform to attack the ChaiComs and what's going on with the with the communist government in China. A million dollar contract. The FBI has been investigating this company because Bannon and this guy allegedly have have raised three hundred million dollars in investments to 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 um, pay for this media company. Where's that money coming from? They're not sure. But this was revealed in the Wall Street Journal on July 8th. So that was a month and a half ago. So Bannon and the Chinese billionaire have already been under investigation by the FBI. 
Some other interesting things about this. And so that makes me wonder if this is kind of like an Al Capone situation where, you know, they got Al Capone on tax evasion, not on all the other mafia stuff that he did and murders and all kinds of other illegal things. So is this arrest by uh, by SDNY on Bannon, is this really about something bigger than just this other charity fraud? I mean, that charity is, that fraud is bad enough, but is this something else bigger that they're looking at? Could be. Um, the Chinese billionaire that he's been with Donald Trump on stuff, he's been at, seen at Mar-a-Lago, um, not, maybe not directly seen with Trump, but he's been at Mar-a-Lago. I've seen photographs of that. Um, they did a bizarre stunt in in June where Bannon and Gao uh, rented these propeller planes to fly banners o- o- across New York Harbor on the anniversary of Tiananmen Square that said something like congratulations to the free state of China. Very weird. Um, they've been pulling these kind of stunts and doing these things. And it's been on the radar of the FBI. Now, something I found, because, of course, I'm always interested in these things. Let's go a little bit deeper. Who is this guy, right? Who is this Gao Wengui, or however his name is pronounced? So like I said, he escapes China in 2014. But I found in the Daily Mail a story that, because the Wall Street Journal story is behind a paywall, um, that in in July... It said, despite his outward contempt for Chinese Communist parties, the Chinese Communist Party, some have raised concerns that he could actually be working for the Chinese government. Strategic Visions, a research research firm that Gao's media company hired in 2018, accused him of being a dissident hunter in an ongoing legal battle over the contract between the two companies. What is that? That's interesting to me. Well, the Chinese... Are, are notorious for sending in double agents, okay? And they are always on the lookout for people who are against or speak out against the, the, the communist Chinese, you know, the dissidents. So it wouldn't surprise me if this was actually some kind of, of counterintelligence op. I don't know. But the fact that this is even coming up is just interesting to me. It says, meanwhile, uh, a strategic vision tried to subpoena Bannon to testify about his relationship with Gao in that case. The firm made the claim in court documents after Gao instructed it to investigate people he said were tied to top officials in the Chinese Communist Party. So is this the Chicoms using Gao as a way to fish out who the dissidents are for them and then they take them out? Russia does this kind of shit too. So I just found that to be interesting. It said the outlet, the FBI, oh, the FBI blocked two Chinese agents from arresting Gao on U.S. territory in 2017. That's interesting. Um, The outlet cited claims the FBI at the time was attempting to recruit Gao as an informant, but the efforts proved unsuccessful. So, I mean, the plot thickens here with this. It's all very interesting, but it just goes back to the criminal syndicate that is Trump world. And here's another person now to add to that. And what Bannon does and whether he flips or gives up more information will be an interesting story to watch. I wouldn't hold my breath for a pardon or Trump intervening because Bannon did speak disparagingly against uh, Ivanka and Jared and because him and Jared did not get along. The fights in the White House were notorious. Um, So I don't know. But. Very interesting, nonetheless. Another thing that was not good news for Trump world is uh, 
the the Cy Vance, the Manhattan DA, has been in this ongoing legal battle to obtain Trump's taxes and business records from Trump's accounting firm, Mazars. That case went to the Supreme Court. We got a decision over the summer, came back, and they said, look, that absolute immunity defense, it's not going to fly. So that doesn't work. You're not immune from subpoenas. So if you want to try and come up with a different defense, you're welcome to do that. So we're going to kick this back to the lower court. So they did. The lower court reviewed the new Trump defense and said, nope, we reject that. You need to give up the tax records and the business records. So that decision came down this week. Also, not good news for Donald Trump. Before I get to the Senate intelligence report, um, I, I want to talk about the DNC because that's something else actually that <laughs> is not good news for Trump world. The Democrats did a phenomenal job putting on their virtual convention. There were very minor hiccups technically. Um, it was so well produced. Every night they brought something, uh, a different theme to the table. And I have to say, uh, I was really, really, really impressed with what I saw. And I think that the the Republicans and Trump are going to have a tough time trying to meet that standard next week. They've been scrambling to come up with their convention because Trump has been all over the place, moving it from Charlotte to Jacksonville and trying desperately to have it in person. Meanwhile, the Democrats have been planning this for four months now. They made the decision early on that that an in-person convention was just not going to happen. So they brought in the best of the best Hollywood producers and everything to put this thing together. Never been done before. So I give them credit. Um, Not everybody liked everything about what happened. Of course, the progressives were complaining because AOC didn't only got a minute and and there weren't enough progressive faces there. And I'm like, listen, okay, this campaign is not about the progressives. They need to get on board. Stop whining that you're not getting your Medicare for all Bernie Sanders agenda on full display. Do you want to win or do you want to complain? Because the only way that Biden's going to win is if he has a broader coalition and you cannot isolate the suburban middle of the road voters with the far left agenda of some of these you know, policy issues that fight that shit out later. Get the, the existential immediate threat is Donald Trump. Progressives aren't going to get anything if there's another four years of Donald Trump. So they need to stop it, stop throwing temper tantrums and get on board and go out and freaking vote. Because if they sit there and don't do anything because they, and, and throw a temper tantrum because they're not getting their all of their their wish list of policies. Well, then they're complicit in another four years of Donald Trump. I recently did an NPR interview that had a, uh, a progressive on there that was complaining about that. And I was like, you guys need to get it together. OK, <laughs> it's literally life or death. So but that's on that side. But <clears throat> for everything else, I mean, each day there was another highlight of of something that I just thought the Democrats did a great job appealing to a more positive message of unity and what they can do. Now, I don't agree with a whole lot of democratic policy proposals, but the Dem- the democratic convention was not heavy on those specifics. And that was on purpose. Like I said, this is more about a, a bigger vision and pointing out the threat that Donald Trump poses, not just to individual interests and in different, you know, from policy, but literally for the democracy, our, our, our constitutional Republic is under direct threat. Barack Obama, who I rarely agreed with on anything, 
gave a speech that I actually agreed with every word. And I said so. And I know my liberal friends who are listening and sub listeners are like, oh, how could you not? I, I don't share the same worldview as, as Barack Obama. And I've made that known over the years. And I was a critic of him. However, this is bigger than those things. Where we are all on the same page is the threat that Donald Trump poses to our country. And he gave a hell of a speech in, in breaking protocol because there's, it's never been done before where a president has gone after a former president has gone after a current sitting president as directly as Obama did on Wednesday night. I thought his speech was, it was wow. I also thought that it overshadowed Kamala Harris. That was the night that she accepted her nomination as vice president, historic. Uh, people know that I've been lukewarm about Kamala. I have a lot of disagreements with her, but I think that <clears throat> if things, if this campaign is run correctly, that she can be a, an incredible asset and bring energy to the Trump tick, uh, to the Biden ticket, and that she's going to just destroy Mike Pence <laughs> in in the debates. Um, he can't handle that. Um, they made a switch because uh, Obama was supposed to close out the third night, <clears throat> but he asked that he go before Kamala so that he could kind of, it symbolized him handing the baton over to the new guard now. Um, but I, I think that was a mistake because there was no way you were going to, anyone was going to be able to follow Barack Obama. Um, so I think that kind of took away a little bit of the gravitas from Kamala, but historic nonetheless for lots of folks. And the video packages and everything were great. I think she did a, a good job, not her best speech, but good enough. She didn't do any harm. And that's most important. The first night, I thought there was uh, uh, some really impactful stories, uh, especially of the uh, young woman who lost her dad to COVID-19. And she talked about how, you know, her dad was actually a Trump supporter and um, her name was Kristen Urquiza. And she, they did a video package of her, her and her dad. I mean, it was really, really heartbreaking. And there are a couple of things that stood out to me. And one of the lines was, my dad's only pre-existing condition was trusting Donald Trump and he paid for it with his life. That right there is COVID-19 and the, the, this administration's failed response to it is going to be the ultimate I think, poison pill that takes Trump out. I mean, as if everything else is, isn't enough. But when you start talking about pe life and death, people's lives and families being torn apart by this and the horrible way that people die alone and they can't have their families there, you can't have a real funeral. I mean, this is real life. So some people try to say that, oh, Democrats are politicizing it. No, they're not. They're telling the truth. Stop it. They are telling the truth about what's happening to people because of the misinformation and irresponsibility and lack of leadership out of this president and his administration. And that is fair game. They're the ones playing politics by not wearing, you know, by dismissing the masks and dismissing science and, you know, listening to demon, demon sperm doctors over like Dr. Fauci and people who are experts who've dedicated decades of their lives to epidemiology. I mean, come on. So Kristen Urquiza, her, her testimonial was really powerful. And it was one of many that the, that the Democrats put, put out there on all kinds of different issues. But by her saying that when she votes in November for Joe Biden, she's going to be voting for her dad. Um, wow. Michelle Obama was the keynote for on, on Monday. And I'm going to preface this by saying this is going to be a very, very unpopular opinion. <laughs> I 
didn't care for her speech. I know everyone else was tripping all over themselves to say how she was the star and she should give speeches every day. And she, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, she had a couple good lines where, you know, she talked about it is what it is and she really took it to Trump and I get it. I appreciate that. I just found her delivery to be a bit, I don't know, lecturing. And, um, she just wasn't, I don't know. I wasn't a fan. I just wasn't a fan. I found it to be lecturing. She seemed annoyed the whole time. And uh, I just didn't find it as compelling as a lot of other people. But I'm not a big Michelle Obama fan anyway. So it's kind of like the popular, the the very unpopular opinion that I'm not a Beyonce fan either. Um, I'm team Rihanna. So (laughs) I have my issues with, with Beyonce. I don't take anything away from her talent. I just don't particularly care for her music and what she's been doing lately. I like early Beyonce better, but anyway, so that's kind of how I am about Michelle. Like, you know, please don't at me. Don't like get on my case that I'm a Michelle Obama hater. I just, you know, everybody to each their own, to each is their own. Um, day two of the convention was the roll call, which I thought was so cool to see all the videos of the, of the convention delegates from the, all 50 states plus the territories. It just really was a happy experience and it, and it brought a new flavor to something that's usually really boring. I've been to six conventions, six Republican conventions. I've never been to a Democratic convention, but I've been to six conventions since 1996. And, you know, roll call is always kind of like a it's it's something you have to do, but you just it's everyone goes through it and they just everybody's in the arena. And, you know, we so and so from the great state of New Jersey nominate our, you know, 50 delegates for, you know, George W. Bush. Yay. okay, All right. But you go through all 50 states of this. You're like, all right. By the time you get to Utah, you're over it. Um, (laughs) So. This was a really innovative way to do it. And I just felt like it reminded me of all the beautiful parts of our country, how unique we are in our diversity. And it really was a a living, breathing example of e pluribus unum out of many one. And I thought they did an excellent job with that. And I, I wouldn't mind if we saw that kind of roll call at every convention moving forward. Um, that's just my opinion. Um, but the real star of 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 the second night was Dr. Biden. And I just adore her. Um, You had Cindy McCain narrate a really touching video about John McCain's relationship with Joe Biden, which was another area of bipartisanship that the Democrats were smart to highlight. They did the same thing on the first night with Senator Kasich speaking and Christy Todd Whitman and Susan Molinari, Meg Whitman. These are Republican women who are supporting Biden. Smart move by the Democrats. But the John McCain video with Sidney McCain and the lead up to the love story between Joe and Jill Biden, I know that a lot of people may not. And just the fact that it just showed them being normal, just normal people, like normal, healthy, married love affair and the tragedy that they went through and how Joe handled that and how Jill came in in a blended family and raised his boys and they had their own daughter. And it was just a beautiful, moving example of what a strong, healthy American family looks like. Not the, I mean, you can't get any more polar opposite than 
Donald Trump and Melania, wife number three, trophy wife, who hates, they hate each other. Um, You know, she doesn't even want to hold his hand. We've seen the videos of it. I mean, she despises him, it's clear. We know that she married him to marry up, let's be honest. Third wife, he cheated on all of them. Come on, five kids by three different women. You know, compare that to what Jill and Joe Biden have. Come on, you know, I mean, no family's perfect, but... It's, but it's real, it's authentic. And I know that firsthand because of my experience with the Bidens and my husband's experience with the Bidens. And I have a personal affinity for them. So yeah, come on. And she's great. She's a teacher. She's continued to teach, you know, in this era of COVID-19 and the argument over what we should do with schools and teachers and how to keep them safe. She brought a powerful message with that. Um, she had a, a memorable line about, you know, the, the, the best way to uh, heal a nation. She said, how do you fix a broken family the same way you fix a the same way you make a nation whole with love and understanding, small acts of kindness, with bravery and with unwavering faith, the same way Joe healed their family. He can heal the nation. I mean, that was powerful and so true and what this country needs right now. So kudos to Dr. Jill. I stan her. I'm a big fan of hers. And she's going to make a phenomenal first lady and a first lady that I can actually be proud of, not that um, shell of a woman that is our current first lady right now. So kudos to Dr. Dr. B, as they call her affectionately in her inner circle. Um, some of the other highlights uh, really quick. Oh, the, the last night, obviously, I've, I've got to talk about uh, Joe Biden's speech. I thought Joe Biden gave the speech of his life. He needed to and he did. The expectations have been set so low because he's known to, you know, he's gaff prone and sometimes he can stumble over things, but <clears throat> he did not do that. And he gave a powerful speech that that rose to the occasion. And it was more like a presidential address, very intimate, speaking directly to the American people. Um, the portion where he talked about talked directly to the families, the hundred and seven of the hundred and seventy plus thousand Americans who've been killed by COVID-19. You know, that's his thing. He's empathy, he has empathy, he has compassion because of so much loss in his own life. And, you know, telling people, how do you get past this? You know, you you find purpose in your pain and that helped him get through his. Uh, and I thought that was uh, fantastic. Uh, really connecting with the American people, especially those hurting from this COVID-19 disaster. You know, it's, um, that's, that's the, that's what makes Joe, Joe, you know, uh, among other things. One of the highlights also of, of day four was the 13-year-old boy who suffered from stuttering. I think his name is Brandon Harrington and how he met Joe Biden in New Hampshire on a campaign stop and how he, he really encouraged him and helped him with his stuttering and gave him confidence. And he read, you know, he gave a video testimonial and I'm telling you, there wasn't a dry eye anywhere. I just don't know how you look at that and not, just feel it, <clears throat> feel it in your bones. So that that's, I just, I thought it was great. Um, 
I wasn't thrilled with Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who I'm a huge fan of. Veep is one of my favorite shows in the whole world. I absolutely love Seinfeld and her performances as as Elaine. Like, she's one of the best comedic actresses ever. But I just thought that she missed the mark. Some people disagreed with me. I got into some Twitter arguments over it. But I just felt that the the, the, comedi- the comedic part of what she was doing didn't fit the moment on day four. But, you know, it is what it is, again, to each to each is their own. But Joe Biden nailed it. And it really takes away this asinine argument that the Republicans and Trump have tried to make that he's senile and can't handle the job and doesn't know where he is. No, 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 no. He demonstrated that that's absolutely not the case. And if I were Donald Trump, I'd be worried about the debates coming up. It's clear Joe can handle it. Uh, I was I wasn't too worried about it, but <laughs> but no, uh, it gave me hope, uh, and that's desperately what we need in this country. Biden focusing on being the light in this time of darkness and focusing on faith and family and flag. I mean, these things were conservative themes that that Democrats were embodying more than Republicans or Trump in this current era, and I think that that was something that that they did, they struck a great balance on. And when my mom, who is 65, says that she felt hopeful, and then my one of my Harvard students, who's 20, 20, said to me, text me in real time and said, this is the first time I felt hopeful this entire election. That tells me that the Joe Biden speech was was a success. So strap in folks, because it's going to be a wild ride for the next 70 plus days that we've got counting until November 3rd. And one last thing about the convention. Jennifer Hudson blew the doors off on night three and none of the cable channels and none of the networks carried it. She sang change is going to come and in the, at the Chicago Cultural Center. And it was phenomenal. I'm a huge Jennifer Hudson fan. Her voice was sent to us from the heavens and it was phenomenal. So if you did not see that, C-SPAN carried it and there are full um, full videos of it out there now. It's worth the Google. Go and listen to her and just, just bask in the immense unearthly talent of Jennifer Hudson. I had to give her a shout out for, for that. She's amazing. So before I bring in um, this week's guest, uh, Greg Keeley, I, I just wanted to go over really quick the Senate Intelligence Report. Um, we're going to talk more about that a little bit in the uh, in the interview in a minute. But um, this has gotten buried, and I anybody else, this would be a huge story. But there's just so much going on; it's constantly constantly chaos. But the Senate Intelligence Committee put out a final report, which has been going on. The, the investigation, a parallel investigation to the Mueller report and everything else that's going on. But what makes the Senate Intelligence Committee report relevant is the fact that it's bipartisan. It is signed off by both the Democrats and the Republicans, and the committee is controlled by Republicans. So <clears throat> the fact that this was signed off on by both sides cannot be lost. Uh, a couple quick takeaways from it. Um, a lot of it we already knew if you're follow if you followed the whole Russia collusion stuff, but here are a couple things that stood out. Um, the idea that <laughs> that the Russian uh, collusion story is a hoax 
was just completely blown out of the water. Uh, the committee found that the IRA, which is the Internet Research Agency, which was funded by the Kremlin, sought to influence the 2016 presidential election by harming Hillary Clinton's chances of success and supporting Donald Trump at the direction of the Kremlin. That's directly from the report. They said the Russia's Russia's goals were to undermine public faith in the U.S. democratic process, denigrate Secretary Clinton and harm her electability and potential presidency. The committee found that the IRA social media activity was overtly and almost invariably supportive of then-candidate Trump and to the detriment of Secretary Clinton's campaign. It goes on, the, the final report's about 85 pages, but it goes on to list example after example of how the Russians manipulated social media to stoke division and throw the campaign to Donald Trump. This is in the Mueller report. Volume one, it's in other indictments in absentia, but to see it come out of a bipartisan committee is pretty remarkable. It also said the committee found that the Russian government tasked and supported the IRA's interference in the 2016 election. Despite Moscow's denials, the direction and financial involvement of Russian oligarch Yegevny Prozogen, as well as his close ties to high-level Russian intelligence officials, point to significant Kremlin support, authorization, and direction of the IRA's operation and goals. So no question the Russians were behind this. Uh, a couple other things in here that they found. They said that <clears throat> the committee found no single group of Americans was targeted by the IRA's disinformation operatives more than African Americans. By far, race and race-related issues were the preferred target of the information warfare campaign designed to divide the country in 2016. This is key. The Russians have studied us for decades. They know our weak points and they have exploited them and continue to. And in the report, it goes through specific examples of where they used the racial tensions in this country against ourselves to amplify those divisions. That's scary stuff because there were things that were actually tweeted by the president and his people and the use of Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. It's scary stuff, but it's real. It's not a hoax. They also, by the way, found that the IRA, the Internet Research Agency, this, this is the Russian intelligence arm, targeted not only Hillary Clinton, but also sent a Republican candidate, Republican candidates during the presidential primaries. Ted, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio and Jeb Bush were targeted and denigrated by social media sites that were Russian backed. The tentacles of this thing were long. Not only did they do that. But there was also clear, clear collusion, which is not technically a legal thing, but there was collusion between the Russians and the Trump campaign. They were, instead of going to the, the feds, the Trump folks embraced it and it was obvious. And here are five areas where it was most alarming. Trump's crowd strike theory. Uh, that was all Russian disinformation, right? The whole server, where's the server? And then him trying to say it was in Ukraine and all of that nonsense. Yeah, that was part of a Russian disinformation campaign to show to try to say that it was the Ukraine who was meddling, not Russia. And Paul Manafort, who is convicted and serving time for all kinds of other things, he was part of that. Uh, he helped facilitate that because of his ties to uh, Russian intelligence officers, including a guy named Konstantin Kalimnik. 
Now, it says in the report, according to Manafort's deputy, Rick Gates, also convicted, Kalimnik asserted that the hack could have been done by the Russian operatives in Ukraine. The theory undergirded the defense that House Republicans used last year during impeachment. So this is even House Republicans are were uh, unindicted co-conspirators in pushing this conspiracy theory. It's absolutely ridiculous. It says that the information about Kalimnik and Manafort um, was in the Mueller report, but it also identifies Kalimnik unquestionably as a Russian agent. Okay, a Russian intelligence asset. This is who Paul Manafort was passing information to him and also another Russian oligarch named Deripaska. Bad news. What else? Roger Stone and Jerome Corsi. These two guys were frickin' frack in the whole WikiLeaks release of the Clinton emails and Julian Assange's role in all of this. This was also outlined in the Mueller report. But this goes more specifically and talks about the, the TikTok of what happened when the Access Hollywood tape was released. There was coordination between Roger Stone, Jerome Corsi, and WikiLeaks to release the, dam- the, the damaging information in the Clinton email hack at the same time in order to counter the news cycle and the, and the news about Trump and the grab him by the pussy video. They lied about this, partially why Roger Stone was convicted. So for anyone to try to say that there was no coordination, bullshit, yes, there was. Uh, Michael Cohen and Trump compromise. Michael Cohen was uh, texting with someone in the country of Georgia and texting something about efforts to stop tapes from Russia after after some person in Moscow was bragging that he had tapes from Trump's Russia trip. We don't know if that was actually real or not, the whole P-tape thing. But there was some, the committee, just like intelligence services, were aware that there was a fake video being shopped around claiming to be Trump. And that could have been what they were talking about. But the point is that they were still aware that there was some type of compromise at the time, whether it was real or not, that they were concerned about and were willing to try to mitigate if necessary. Never a good thing. Um... (laughs) Again, like I said, the Trump's campaign chairman colluded with a Russian agent. The report specifically says the committee assesses that Konstantin Kalimnik likely served as a channel to Manafort for Russian intelligence services. Doesn't get any more direct than that. And lastly, Trump gave false testimony to Bob Mueller in his investigation. If you remember, Trump did not, did not testify. He only submitted written answers. And in those written answers, he claims that he never talked to, he doesn't remember talking to Roger Stone about WikiLeaks or anything concerning that during the campaign. But we know now from testimony that that's just not true, that there were conversations. And we already knew from the Stone prosecution that the president likely committed felony perjury in his written responses to Mueller. But for the Senate Intelligence Committee, again, both Democrats and Republicans signed off on this to include this information affirming the facts of this is pretty significant. So a lot to digest, but I just felt it's important for people to know what the hell is going on. And this is what we're dealing with, that they're not afraid to allow foreign interference into our country. And this is Russia's goal. Russia's goal is to destroy our democracy from within. And if Donald Trump gets another four years, it'll be the most successful intelligence operation ever by an enemy of the United States. 
And um, with that, good timing to bring in my guest, Greg Keeley, who is the chairman and founder of the Council on American Security. We're going to talk a little bit more about it. Next up, Greg Keeley. On this week's edition of Honestly Speaking, I am pleased to have a guest with me who we actually have history together, uh, working on Capitol Hill as press secretaries for a congressman from California way back in the day, all of 10 years ago, when we were both on the Hill. And um, Greg Keeley has started in an organization um, that I think is important because he, these types of organizations are springing up because so many people in the intelligence community and the military community uh, are alarmed about what's going on with this current president. So retired Lieutenant Commander Greg Keeley, uh, he's retired from the Navy. Like I said, a former Hill staffer. He worked for Congressman Ed Royce and many others on the Hill. I'll let him tell it. Um, but what's also cool about Greg is that not only was he in the U.S. Navy, he was also he also has the distinction of being in the Royal Australian Navy. So he's got a really awesome accent. And I do believe, Greg, you are the first person on honestly speaking that is australian so that's cool um but great well, very exciting i'm so excited because we haven't talked in forever and when you, you reached out to me about what you were doing i i wanted to make sure that we had a chance to talk and that my listeners got a chance to hear from you you are currently now the president of the council on american security also known as camsec for short um before we get into that, though, Greg, before we went on air, you said how you were like, hold on, I'm just getting rid of my cat. For people who know me <laughs> yeah. and listen to me regularly, they know that I have my tuxedo cat who is always up in it doing something. Um, my cat's name is Tiki. He's sitting right here next to me in the business as usual. What's happening with your cat and what's his name or her? Uh, my cat's name is Jack Bauer. Jack Bauer the Meow. Oh, my God. Um, that's awesome. From 24 from 24 he's a tuxedo kitty as well and he is the most needy annoying slash loving cat uh in the world and today he's just on his annoying uh side of the side of the ledger i get it my cat sometimes i'm like teak what do you want from me? You know, he'll just sit here and <laughs> stare at me, you know, or, you know, if he yeah. needs attention, he, what my cat does, he takes papers and he will rustle papers like this in my office until I, I have two desks yeah. in my office until I say, Teak, that's it. I'm going to boot your ass out of here if you don't stop it. Like I talk to him like he's a, like he's a human being because they're so smart. Oh, sure. to, 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 they're smart. Yeah. We have like real conversations. So, but anyway, but I love him. My cat's going on 14 and I could never imagine Actually, my life Jack, without him. Yeah. Jack, I think is about 12 now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he's a spry 13 and a half and I am doing everything I can to make sure that he lives forever because he has to. I don't know what I'm going to do when he decides to go to kitty heaven. It's going to be a rough, a rough go of it yeah, for me. But, way, yeah, that is, yeah. Uh, good. The worst part. But anyway, so shout out to everyone who are who has cats, tuxedo cats specifically, and people who are just animal lovers because, you know, they're, they're part of the family and they're just the best. Um, so, Greg, I didn't even know that about you. And I, I thought you were cool before, but you're a cat guy, too. That's just great. That's amazing. Uh, you're awesome. You know who else well, is a big a cat? A cat and a Doberman. Yes. 
so I grew up around dogs. My grandmother was a dog handler. So I grew up around lots of dogs and going to dog shows my whole life. So I didn't, I'm just too busy to have a dog or else I would. But my mom has an awesome dog named Samantha. And I, whenever we visit or she visits, Samantha is all around everywhere. And she taught Tiki how to beg. So now he begs like a oh, dog. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's always handy. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so back to more serious stuff. Uh, unfortunately, we've just got so much going on in the world and, um, you know, it's important to have some levity. But, uh, you know, I, I really wanted you to describe why you started CAMSEC. What was it about? What, what, what was the final moment when you went, oh, no, 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 that's it. I've got to do something. I'm going to start an organization. Um, when was that? Yeah. Funnily enough, Tara, it was actually... Uh, pretty easy to define. Uh, you recall, you know, Trump unilaterally withdrew the uh, U.S. forces out of, uh, you know, Syria, stopped protecting the Kurds, threw them under the bus, quite literally. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he gets on the phone with with the Turkish autocrat Erdogan for 30 minutes. Uh, you know, has his business handed to him, and the next thing you know, 24 hours later, the Turk, uh, the Turk, the Kurds. <laughs> Freudian uh, slip there, I get it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, goodness. You know, the Kurds are, uh, you know, getting slaughtered by the Turkish and their their proxies uh, because Donald Trump has no clue what he's doing. You know, I lost a guy I used to work with over there. And for me, that was, that was it. You know, it, it got to the point where, you know, you know, like you, uh, I, I, and I, I stole your line of uh, saying conservative. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I still class myself as a conservative, obviously. I'm just not a Republican right now right. Uh, or a Trump Republican. And, you know, it just got to the point where I couldn't keep excusing the buffoonery and the dangerous way he was approaching our foreign policy and national security. And then when General Mattis resigned as Secretary of Defense, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, Keely, uh, if the Secretary of Defense can quit, you can stand up and, uh, you know, quit making excuses for this clown show and uh, and do something about it. And that's how we, uh, you know, that's how the council came to be. We, I, I called up General Clark, uh, Wesley Clark, the former Supreme Allied Commander uh, of NATO in Europe, um, uh, who actually happened to be a you know obviously a Democrat presidential uh, contender at one point, uh, Lieutenant General Russ Onray, who was the guy that led the uh, Katrina mm-hmm. uh, disaster relief uh, for the army, and uh, Admiral Steve Abbott, who's like uh, I think he's like the Top Gun guy, um, you know he <laughs> he's he's been everything, uh, and you know he's a four star as well. So I called those guys up and I was like, hey, sirs, and they're Republicans and Democrats, right? So it's split pretty evenly. And uh, they were all like, yeah, hell yeah, we're on board. And uh, then we got John uh, Sandweg uh, involved, who I didn't know before this, but he was the former DHS director. And then a, an old friend of mine, John Cypher, who was one of the you know top three uh, guys in the CIA under Bush and Obama, um, he's now on board as well, and he's sort of heading our intelligence part. But, you know, the the, the Kurds getting slaughtered in Syria uh, because Trump, you know, couldn't handle a telephone call with another world leader. For me, that was the that was the tipping point. That was, I think, for a lot of people in your line of work, that was the red line. And, right, you know, right. the fact that that Secretary Mattis, General Mattis, finally said, "This, I'm done. 
You know, I mean, I'm sure it was a hard pill for him to swallow from the very beginning. I think he was just trying to do it out of duty to the country and hoping to be the adult in the room. Right. And, you know, Mm. for him to finally say, because he's the, you know, for those who don't know, General Mattis is considered to be like the Marines Marine. You know, he's a tough dude. Oh, yeah. You know, he is like Mm -hmm. all about he's not he's not married like he's been married to the Marines for his his entire life, um, dedicated and for him to finally step away and then for him to a year and a half later or almost two years later come out and speak out against the president, that was, that's a huge deal. I mean, a lot of people wanted him to speak out immediately, but for a general, can you, like as someone who's been in the two countries' militaries, can you just explain to people how significant it was for General Mattis to speak out against Donald Trump? Um, I guess, I believe it was during the, the, during the, um, the George Floyd protests and the way he handled that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Look, it's, uh, it's, it's, Enormous. What, what I think what folks, you know, your listeners need to sort of understand is that, you know, the military and our intelligence professionals, you know, CIA, NSA, all those guys are legally required to remain apolitical, right? They can't have an opinion. They can't turn up at a event in uniform. Uh, and rightly so, you know, that's how it should be, you know, because they're, 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 their um, independence is in, in, essential to the integrity of the job they do, uh, the advice they give, and, you know, keeping it safe. But, you know, the president has just wrenched that all away by politicising the military. And I think for someone like General Mattis to finally step up, well, not finally, I'm not, and I'm not saying it disparagingly, to you know, be pushed to the point where he feels he has to step up and make a statement like he did against the president is, uh, is just extraordinary. I mean, you don't see that ever. Ever. And I think it, it, testimony to that is the fact that he hasn't said or done anything since. Right. So he's not trying to be political, but he just got to the point, uh, like many of us have at CAMSEC, uh, where you're just going, you know, enough is enough. This guy is dangerous. He's a, a clear and present threat to the security of the country. And, you know, we're just seeing it today uh, with, the, with the Senate report out about the intelligence mm-hmm. uh, sharing with Russia and, and the WikiLeaks. And, you know, it's a Republican, a Republican uh, report says that, yes, Donald Trump and his campaign colluded with Russia, with Russian GRU agents. I'm just going to say it again for those that for the people in the back. This is a Republican Senate led report. So before people start talking, you know, the the Trump folks who may listen, which I there probably aren't any. But for in case those you have people in your circles (laughs) who are Trump supporters who try to say, oh, it's the fake news. It's the Democrats. It's the socialists. It's the squad. No, this was a Senate Republican. Republican-led report. It's bipartisan, but the Senate is controlled by Republicans who came out with the Senate intelligence report basically confirming everything we already knew about the level of collusion um, with Russia and the Trump campaign. But it's in a level of detail that makes a lot more sense now because of how much more information we know between the Mueller report and other things that have been revealed. And it is really infuriating for those of us who have been paying attention to see how obvious it was that the Russians and the and the Trump folks were right. certainly colluding. It is, as my friend Asha Rangappa says, it was a lot of colluding shit going on. It may not have been the rising <laughs> level of, of, uh, of um, illegality, but it was certainly unethical. It was colluding. She calls. She also calls oh, Rudy Giuliani colluding Rudy. But anyway, 
That's it. I like that. Uh, but, you know, I, I think there there is parts of this uh, that border on uh, and probably step over the line of criminality. And But to your point, this is like Senator John Cornyn, Republican Senator John Cornyn of Texas, saying, yes, Donald Trump and the Trump campaign colluded with Russia. Mm-hmm. It's like Ben Sass saying it. Republican Senator Ben Sass saying, yes, the, the, the Trump campaign colluded with Russia. If this happened to any other president or at any other time, <laughs> this would blow the administration apart. They'd be impeached. But, oh, he'd, he'd be run out of town. Yeah. Is, you know, I, I, a lot of my friends uh, are serving or still serving in the, in the intelligence agencies, and they've been telling me this for two years. And, you know, everyone knows it's the worst kept secret in Washington. But the fact that Cornyn, Sass, Rubio, all these Republican senators that have gone on to make excuses for him... Mm have had to put their name to this document means that it's absolutely irrefutable because they would have tried to find any way not to be associated with with this report. But the fact they've had to do it means that the, the, the evidence must be overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a sad state of affairs, Greg? You know, you and I both worked on the Hill. We know a lot of these players and we remember when they used to be honorable people, when they used to right. stand up for... America. They used to stand up for the intelligence community. They used to stand up for our military, our our values uh, on the world stage. And to see them devolve into these mealy-mouthed sycophants now is it's stomach turning for me, which is, I just, you know, I supported, like Marco Rubio is one of the ones that I just have zero patience for. I supported him in 2016 before he dropped out of the race. I thought Marco Rubio would have been a good president. And did I, believe No, right? Mm -hmm. The future of the Republican Party. I tell this story often, how I was down in South Carolina during primary season in 2016, and I was in the room the night before the South Carolina primary where it was Nikki Haley, um, Tim Scott and Marco Rubio together on stage. And I actually got a little emotional because I'm a big sap. And I was looking at that <laughs> saying to myself, that's the future of the Republican Party. Thank God. You know, and then the next day it all came crashing down when Donald Trump won in South Carolina and then the rest is history. But you look at all right. of those people. They're unrecognizable now. Who are they? I just it's just it's infuriating, Gray. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at someone like Rubio, who I, I agree with you, you know, because of, you know, what I've, my, you know, past lives, I've seldom donated to political campaigns because it's not what you do. Right. But I donated to Rubio because I thought, you know, he was the guy and I thought he would have been a great flag bearer for the Republican Party. But Trump has so diminished the GOP and has so turned these guys into, as you said, mealy mouthed yes men mm. and women. You know, it is just extraordinary. I, and I I don't, you know, I, I can't in all good, you know, I, I've lost friends because of, you know, what I'm doing now. Oh, me too. Um, I've lost clients because of what I'm doing now. But I can't in all good conscience stand by and have this, I keep calling him a clown show because that's what it is, but he's a dangerous clown show. Right. In the White House, he's undermining the military. He debases them. You know, he said to the Joint Chiefs two days after he got into office, I wouldn't go in, I wouldn't go to war with you people because you're a bunch of babies. Oh. I mean, give me a break. When I read that, uh, in, did you know about that before uh, the, the Very Stable Genius book came out? Because I believe there was an excerpt yeah, in there about that. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that was pretty widely uh, talked about in in your circles, uh, defense circles. Yeah. Yeah, and then you know, he, outrageous. I mean, he he went so far as calling the CIA officers that put their life on the line without a safety net for this country every day. He referred to them as Nazis. Yeah. Well, people I mean, people may remember that break. he. Where did he go? The day after, was it the day of the inauguration or the day after? But his first yeah, day public, after. right day after, where he went to CIA headquarters and spoke in front of the the memorial, the CIA memorial to fallen CIA heroes, right. and mm-hmm. absolutely disrespected the intelligence community and the the honorable careers of these folks, and had a bunch of clapping seals in the audience, plants somewhere so they could clap about things and just politicize, give a, a total political speech in the hallowed grounds of the CIA memorial on them. I, right. I just couldn't. Well, that's, you know, peanuts in comparison to what has come since then. Um, but, <laughs> right. but, but that should have been an indicator. Work, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, that should have mm-hmm. been an indicator right there of what the, what we were in for with this freaking guy. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's it just, it goes, it's so infuriating. Another thing that's infuriating, which has been in the news more recently, which I know you can speak to, has been the revelation about the the bounties on American soldiers right. over there in Afghanistan, um, paid by the Russians to the Taliban. Now, I worked for Congressman Rohrabacher. Uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, know that, but he was a he was an Afghanistan expert. Um, and even though I don't agree with him on his positions on Russia and since I left his office, I always have to put this disclaimer in since he, since I left his office seven years ago, he went down a path that I disagree with vehemently and it has broken my heart that he became a Trump supporter as, as rapidly as he did. And he actually deserved to lose his seat. And it pains me to say that, but you there are consequences when you take positions the way Congressman Rohrabacher did. I still love him to death. And it was still the greatest seven years of my life working for him at the time before he went crazy. But part of one of yeah. some of the things that um, part of one of the, the areas that I learned a lot about that I had no idea about was Afghanistan. And because he had a relationship from his time in the Reagan White House in the 80s when we were fighting the, the Russians over there um, through as a proxy through with helping the Mujahideen, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Dana was very involved in a lot of that stuff. The Charlie Wilson's war thing that, you know, if people have ever seen yep. the movie, Dana was kind of behind the scenes in that he doesn't get any credit for it the way some others do, but he was involved. So he knows about the dynamics in Afghanistan. So during my time there, and because he was on the foreign affairs committee, I learned way more about Tajiks and the Pashtu and the, you know, <laughs> yeah. the, all the 4,500 different tribal, uh, you know, tribal councils there are in Afghanistan. I mean, it's a very complicated place. So I pay attention whenever Afghanistan comes up, I kind of perk up a little bit because I I understand the dynamics. Um, But you served over there. You really understand the dynamics. Please explain why this is another one of those stories that has just been eclipsed by COVID and the election and all the other crazy shit that happens every day. But please explain Mm -hmm. why the American people should be absolutely furious about the fact that the Russians have been paying the Taliban to put bounties on U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan and the president of the United States hasn't done shit about it. Not only hasn't he done shit about it, he's also called it fake news. And like he does with everything, 
just to put this in context, you know, the, the Russian GRU, their intelligence services on the ground in Afghanistan, are paying up to $100,000 for to, to terrorists, to Taliban terrorists, to kill American soldiers, Marines, airmen, sailors, and uh, our intelligence officers on the ground. Now, the proof is irrefutable. You know, we have special forces groups that have come back, you know, and I've been there when, you know, not in this instance, but, you know, you find boxes of money, like I'm talking hundreds of thousands of dollars that have been handed over by whatever agency for whatever country all over the place, particularly early in the piece. Um, But this is irrefutable evidence that the Russians were paying terrorists to kill Americans. The president has chosen not to say anything about it. The president has chosen not to, you know, he apparently had eight reported phone calls with Vladimir Putin in Mm -hmm. Moscow. Eight. He didn't bring this issue up once. Why? I mean, this is quite extraordinary. Can you imagine if President Obama or President Bush knew there was um, assassins looking for American soldiers being paid by the Russians and they did nothing about it? Republicans would call for impeachment again. Oh, my gosh. It is mind blowing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Trump, in effect, you know, and this sounds all dramatic, but by doing nothing, he's almost signing the death warrants of soldiers that get killed, picked off, whatever you want to call it, by these terrorists uh, to get their, you know, to get their you know, 12 pieces of gold from Russia. And Trump just, he, he's been briefed on it, for goodness sake. His daily intelligence brief has included this information. He's been verbally briefed on it, yet he just denies it and calls it fake news. That interview we did with Jonathan Swan, fake news. Fake news. And it's just, they're killing Americans. They're killing Americans and he's not doing anything. And, and, and what's more, he doesn't care. He just does not care. And that, I think, is the most infuriating part about this. Here's this guy who is a silver spoon draft dodger who didn't have the courage to serve himself back in the 70s, avoided the draft, you know... <laughs> bragged about how not getting a venereal disease was his personal Vietnam. And yeah, he tries and he to have got a purple heart. Right, right. And he tries to he thinks that the military is his own personal protection unit and it makes him feel like a big man because we have the biggest, baddest bombs and the most powerful military in the world. Oh, yeah. And meanwhile, mm-hmm. this is how he treats them. This is how he, I, I, since the election in 2016, you know, back when CNN used to do the panels, um, I had gone mm. rounds and rounds with the Trump supporters over his treatment of the military. Obviously, it started with his his disgusting comments about John McCain not being a hero because he got oh, captured. My God. Yeah, that was in the summer of 2015. And at that point, I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me with this guy?" Right. I mean, you can. I disagreed yep. with John McCain on plenty of political issues on on things, but he is unequivocally an American hero. The guy was tortured in Vietnam in the Hanoi Hilton, and he stayed when he could have left because his father was an admiral he could have stayed and he didn't because he wasn't going to leave the other men behind i mean it doesn't get any more selfless and courageous than what john mccain did 
for this country. And this bastard who who lied about bone spurs is going to call out John McCain. Like, I just can't. I, mean, I still get riled up about it. And and, I, and then we see the pattern, right, you know, we see the pattern of this guy. And then in the military, I, you know, some of my friends who serve in the military, I'm like, how do you guys support him? He uses you as political props. Don't you see this? Do you see any erosion in the support? I think in the rank and file, maybe it's a little bit different than it is with the officer corps. But what has been your sense talking to your folks in in the military, in the military space about their feelings about Donald Trump? Has it has it changed? Do they still think that he's on their side or what? Because the Russian bounty case should have been it. It should have been. Uh, and Tara, look, the, you know, veterans have been a uh, veterans and the military, obviously, have been a very, very important constituency for Trump. You know, they broadly supported him in, in 2016. And and I regret to say during this presidency, and that's one of the reasons we started the Council on American Security, was to try and bring the message to the vets and to the serving military that Trump does not support the military. I have arguments with, or just, I like to call them discussions, uh, with former shipmates all the time. We call Many it argubating in our family. Argubating. Argubating. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. I might use that. You can um, take it. You know, these, they, yeah, exactly. Well, I already ripped off your same conservative thing, so I could just rip that off. So. <laughs> I gladly but, give it to you. You've earned it, Greg. You, you, Keely, you can have it. No worries. <laughs> okay. All right. I think it's even on my Twitter now. But um, <laughs> I, I love you know, they, you look at these guys, and and I say to them, you know, and a lot of these guys are, you know, working the Joint Chiefs, or you know, they're edu- very well educated, um, smart, read in, and they still support Donald Trump. I think we're seeing. You know, the, I think a big turning point for a lot of people that are coming into CAMSEC now, that, you know, just our members, our grassroots guys or donating to the organisation, uh, were turned about after Lafayette Square, mm-hmm. <clears throat> pardon me, and the way they used the National Guard and the military to disperse those protesters. So, so Orange Face could go and take a, a photograph in front of the church holding up a Bible like it was the, you know, Heisman Trophy. Oh, disgusting. Um, I think that was the turning point. We had a we had a big groundswell of donations and people joined the cause after that. Uh, we uh, and we brought Adam DeMarco in, who was the uh, National Guardsman that testified under the Whistleblower Protection Act before Congress um, a few weeks ago about the use of force uh, by uh, by the White House and uh, and uh, the National Guard and and the Park Police. Um, and you know he shredded. Um, Attorney General Barr's excuses. Uh, Adam's a great guy. Uh, lives in D.C., serves honorably. He served overseas also. And he's currently uh, and active when, duty? One, he's currently active duty. He's a, yeah, he's a current um, reserve active uh, active reservist, which means they can get called up at you know any time. Right, which is why uh, he, he had to... This is, that's why he had to use the... invoke the Military Whistleblower Protection Act correct. So, so that there was no mm-hmm. retribution for him coming forward and telling the truth about what happened at Lafayette Square on June 1st. Correct. And I think as you, you, know, you talk about the retribution on Adam, I mean, he was very courageous to do this because if, God forbid, Trump wins a second term, uh, you know, Adam DeMarco's career, just like we saw with Colonel Vindman, mm. Uh, his career will be, uh, uh, you know, looked at by folks and, you know, the vindictive assholes in the White House um, very closely. But at the end of the day, DeMarco stepped up for his country, stepped up for his fellow citizens. And 
you know, his testimony was telling. And just like the the bounties issue, um, if this was happening to any other president at any other time, it would be a telling blow. But because this is such a cluster uh, in there right now, it's just another day at the office. Is that un- unbelievable? The things like this are just, you know, just having the joint chiefs, the joint chief of staff in uniform walking with the president, right. you know, into this photo op. He didn't take the picture, but he was walking with them. Part He became part of the yep. campaign video that they used that they shot for this after National Guardsmen and Park Police and Secret Service and others there violently cleared out peaceful protesters under the auspices of. Uh, that they were, you know, a threat to the White House or whatever bullshit they tried to say. It was all about right. a photo op. And the Joint Chief was, the, it was like, dude, what are you doing? What? And then he tried to say, well, I didn't know that's what they were going to do. Then what What were you walking across? What did you think you were doing as you were walking across uh, Lafayette Square? You didn't see, there wasn't a TV monitor on? What, were you in the bunker at the time when they were doing it? Like, you you know, <laughs> right. didn't you, you could have said like, sorry, sir, um, I have to take a call for something. I mean, figure out a way. You're a, you're a freaking Joint Chief, of, you know, Chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff. Yeah, like, what, figure out a, You're the Chairman. Figure out a way to get out of it. I mean, I, I the whole thing you know, was one, just despicable. One thing I, uh, you know, the the word I get from folks that I I still know up there is that Millie was told that he was going to inspect the National Guard troops that were in the square, and that's what he was expecting. Uh, do you believe so that? Somewhat in his defence. Yeah, I do. Okay. Millie's a, a, a very honourable officer. Okay. Um, the fact he came out a few days later and said. You know, I shouldn't have done it. I thought it was good. He did. Um, Millie uh, is a, um, a, you know, I don't know him personally, but I know his reputation, obviously. Uh, and everybody that I know that works with him speaks very highly of him. But, you know, this goes to the point of Trump and his people using General Milley, our highest ranked military officer, yeah, good as a prop for a photograph. Yep. For a campaign it's video just- on top of that. For a campaign, and and look, this isn't an isolated incident. He did it, you know, in the height of the pandemic raging across America, which I could talk to you about for two hours. Uh, but at the height of the pandemic, he calls back graduates from around the country to West Point. That's right. That's to right. To sit in a crowd at West Point while he gave a rambling speech about poll numbers exposing them and their families. And they came from all over the country Mm -hmm. just to sit there for that two hours while the president rambled on and then, you know, shuffled down that, uh, as we say in one of our CAMSEC ads, down that slippery slope, uh, (laughs) you know, to get off the stage. Um, He has politicised the military. He just uses it as his own... You know, Cam, you know, he won't go to war with you, as we said uh, at the top of the show. He won't go to war with the military, but he's very happy to use you as a campaign prop or as a, uh, you know, campaign ad, you know. It's, it's just, I'm glad I'm not in anymore and I can speak out because this is so infuriating and against the American um, ideal of, or, or the American mission of what an, the military and the intelligence agency should be that it makes my head want to explode. Uh, you know, 
It's true. And I, I can't, I mean, it makes my head want to explode. And I, you know, I didn't serve in the military. My grandfather was a World War II veteran. Um, so, and, and a police officer. So I've been around that culture uh, my whole life. And, um, you know, working on Capitol Hill, where, you know, I would be, I would go to the Marine Day opportunities that they'd offer for us, where I could go yep. and hang out with Marines. And, yeah. Did you ever do Marine Day? I mean, you yeah, lived yeah, it so, but <laughs> so it's not, it's not as you know much fun maybe for you because you you know you've been in the military. But for those of us who haven't, that just have so much respect for what you guys do, you know, they would allow us to fly on like ospreys and we'd shoot big guns <laughs> and freaking grenade launchers and ride in tanks and flak yeah. jackets. It was fucking awesome, man. I would go every yeah. year. I think I went like four four or five years in a row, and I'm still friends. <laughs> yeah. I'm still friends to this day with some of the. Um, with some of the Marines that I met during that, you know, oh, 11 great. years ago. Yeah. Yeah. We're all, but well, you know, thanks to Facebook keeps people connected, but, um, yeah. <clears throat> but you know, you just get a, a, an appreciation for the everyday of what our guys and, you know, our men and women in the military do. And then to watch the way this president just utterly disrespects them is absolutely yeah. infuriating because it's, <laughs> you're the commander in chief. This is one of your most right. important jobs as president. You're you have a direct you are the the direct commander over our um right. you know our military and this is how you behave. It's um it's dangerous and I just don't know if people outside of the military space really understand the damage this guy is doing and the threat that he poses. Let me ask you this cuz this is a question I get a lot and then I'm going to ask you also about the um the effect that the post office and what Trump has done, the impact that that's yeah. had on the military, too, because I don't think a lot of people realize this either. But, do you, you know, a lot of people are are worried that Trump will not leave um, if he loses this mm. election. You know, he's been laying down the foundation to put the election integrity in question um, more than once. He has made very cryptic allusions to maybe I just won't go quietly or, you know, he puts out these memes where it shows the, the Trump, you know, in perpetuity being president for years yeah. and years. Like it's mm -hmm. just gross. Um, but a lot of people say, well, what if the freaking guy doesn't leave? And then I'm like, well, the, I don't think the military would stand by and allow him to barricade himself in the white house. Is there a role for the military to play if Donald Trump tried to say, I'm not going because we're going to redo the election or some nonsense. <laughs> uh, I would like to say no, but I think uh, it's the only institution that the American public would trust mm -hmm. to intervene in an instance like that. I, I you know, I, I hope, and I, I, I think it's unlikely that he will, you know, try some shenanigans, but it's Donald Trump and he <laughs> right. might think that's a good way to launch his new TV show or, or whatever the case may be. Uh, but I, I think this, the short answer, I don't, you know, I'm not a lawyer, thank goodness, but um, <laughs> the, I do think the military, if this, if this, you know, event happened, would be the only institution in the country that would be trusted enough to, to, to literally drag drag the guy out of out of the White House, which 
I got to tell you, even though it would wrench the country for a little while, I'd love to see it. <laughs> you and me both. Um, you know, minus the the absolute tragedy that it would be in this country that we were at that point if we got there. I mean, I don't wish this on our country at all. But for the Absolutely. pure entertainment no. value of it, I yes, <laughs> I, I'm with you with that. I that mean, would be a hell of a sight. And with Nancy Pelosi standing there over him with her <laughs> impeccably dressed, um, just you know doing the doing the clap doing the the the, the state of the union clap right. at him as the military dragged him out <laughs> now that I would mean, be a glorious <laughs> it is just insane that it's even a conversation i know that i know we we and other people have i mean we're not some you know banana republic world autocratic right. dictator banana republic right i mean this is the united states of america and we're having a discussion about whether We'll, the president will go when he's defeated at the polls. It's crazy. It just extraordinary. I know. It's scary. It, it's actually frightening, to be honest. And um, it is. It's it's adding to the you know add that to the list of frightening things that have transpired under this presidency. That would be exponentially worse if he were to have a second term with no guardrails, with no oh. prospect of getting reelected to um, hold him back. It, it's it is just incomprehensible to me um, that we could see it, possibly see another four years of this guy, which leads me to the the post office issue. He's willing to do right. anything, it seems, and say the quiet parts out loud, which is how pathological he is to to yeah. try to hold on to power. And I think that the attack against the post office uh, by trying to dismantle it from within with, you know, BS budget cuts and trying to claim that these were restructuring um, restructuring procedures that had been in place before this. And it has nothing to do with the election or politics. Yeah. Get the hell out of here. Of course no, it does. Course. Um, but the I think he's going to I think that the post office issue, they went too far. And the political backlash we're already starting to see is palpable and they're going to pay a price for it and he's going to have to back off of it. Looks like they're starting to, but I don't put anything past this guy. So, but the, the disruption to the service of the post office, it's, it's another institution that Trump is trying to destroy. And part of your mission statement over at AMSEC is um, to restore American standing abroad, but also defending institutions. Did you ever think right. that you would be defending the freaking <laughs> post office? <laughs> no, let me tell you. I look, I never thought I would be uh, you know supporting a democrat a democrat presidential candidate. I never thought I would me be either. uh you know applauding Nancy Pelosi in my you know wildest dreams, wild dreams whatever, but <laughs> but here we are. Um you know, the no, short answer, did I ever think we would have to be standing up to defend the integrity of the United States Postal Service? No, um, but from from our from our point of view, you know, veterans and myself included. So I'm I'm in this group. You know, um, eighty percent of the vets get their medications from the VA via the mail. Eight, it's over eighty percent, but it's about eighty percent. That that equals about a hundred and twenty million prescriptions bottles. Wow every single year going through the mail to people that need uh, medications for PTSD, traumatic brain injury, blood pressure, heart problems, everything. That And it affects, I think, about 350,000 vets across the country. And I can tell you from personal experience, 
right now, uh, most of the VAs for non-emergency procedures are closed, right? So I can't go to the VA uh, in uh, in Lexington, Kentucky, and pick up my prescriptions or my medications because it's closed. So is that because I'm of COVID here, or because of budget cuts? Because of COVID. Okay. No, no, because of COVID. Yeah, and so I'm sitting here waiting for my uh, prescriptions to turn up. You know, they're seven to ten days late already. So that's just me. And wow. you know, none of my stuff is life and death kind of uh, issues, but for many of these guys that have served, uh, it is. And if all of a sudden they're not getting their heart heart medicine or their blood pressure medication, uh, it could kill them. And this is all because Donald Trump is just trying to find another excuse for potentially losing the election. To, to me, it is just bewildering, and it's another reason why I'm glad I've... Uh, you know, jump ship on this this whole debacle that is the White House right now. No pun intended from the retired Navy man. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Jumping ship. (laughs) Um, You know, I don't think that people realize this, and I'm glad that there are groups like yours speaking out and drawing attention to the fact that so many veterans depend on the Postal Service for their medications. I I just don't think people realize it. I don't think I realized the breadth of that um, until this whole controversy started. And I was like, to hell with the bills and the letters in the the post office that are going to be late. These guys have life or death medications that they need that are being held up, that are being caught up in this political game that the president is playing. This is, uh, it's inexcusable. And I'm glad to see that the righteous anger of the American people is being recognized and that Nancy Pelosi actually is calling Congress back into session after the the DNC in order to address this. There's not much that they can do directly because of the way the postmaster general is is appointed and the the, the board of governors has been stacked now with Trump sycophants. Um, and they're the only ones really that can fire him directly or the president, which he's not going to do. So it only only the righteous anger of the American people would shame these people back into um, doing the right thing or backing off it. And it looks like we're getting an indication of that. Thank God. But, you know, uh, you never know what they, they might try it well, another yeah. way. And I, I think, you know, they went into this, obviously, you know, with their heads up their asses, not understanding what was going to blow back on them. You know, they Clearly. went into this to try and delegitimize mail-in balloting, right? But it's had this exploding effect on everything else. I mean, you know, he says mail-in balloting is unsafe. Um, you know, he just filed his, he just sent in his mail-in ballot yesterday, I believe, to Florida. The military has been doing vote by mail since the Civil War for That's 160 right. years. Um, I've voted by mail heaps of times when I've been deployed. Um, and he's saying that it, it doesn't work. Well, I got a message for him and it Voting by mail does work. It's worked for the military since the Civil War. And one thing to think about is veterans have a much higher and military have a higher uh, voting ratio than the general public, which I didn't know until I started looking into this uh, recently. You know, there was just on the veteran front, uh, nearly 19 million were eligible to vote uh, in the last election and nearly 15 million voted. So wow. that shows you the uh, you know percentage of uh, of activity or or um, political activism or whatever you want to call it uh, from the military. Now, if Trump and this is what we're trying to do at CanSec is just chip away at that 
you know, that veteran support, that military support he has. And if we're in Florida and we can, you know, tip the tip the uh, scales by one or two points, that could be the difference between uh, President Biden and another four years of, uh, of Bozo the Clown. That's for sure. Um, the, elect- the election was so close last time, 77,000 votes combined in three states. That was the difference. This time around, yeah, and, I, and, I, and I try to put this in perspective for people, that's less votes, less people than a home game at Penn State during football season, okay? Penn State has a 100,000-seat <laughs> <Right>. stadium. <laughs> that would yeah. be a bad day for Penn State if only 77,000 people showed up. That was the difference in this election. So every vote counts, and I'm, I'm thrilled to see that you know, people like you have stepped up. Um, it's not it's outside your comfort zone as as military guys and as intelligence officers. This is really outside the comfort zone, the, the, pol- the politics of this kind of stuff, getting involved directly. But it's that important right. to you because you realize that the integrity of the United States is at stake here. The re- republic, the health of the republic is literally at stake. And um, who whoever thought that we would be there before I let you go? I want to talk about one last thing because I think people need to know this, and this is a, another area of expertise for you. And also, um, you mentioned that that retired CIA officer John Cipher is on your board and involved. And John's been on the show before um, as a guest, and he's he's a incredibly smart guy. If people want to follow him, you should follow him on Twitter, John Cipher. Um, the idea of this this misinformation disinformation warfare. Information warfare is the new Cold War. You know, since we defeated the the Soviets in the Cold War, Russia's reconstituted its efforts against us, not necessarily with trying to outbomb us or, you know, trying to do uh, things like that, but they've shifted focus now to the what you call hybrid warfare um or for the mm-hmm. Chinese it's asymmetrical warfare where they're using disinformation efforts and deception and destabilization as their goal to basically do what Abraham Lincoln warned us against, which was it wouldn't be a foreign enemy that took us out. It would be the discord and disunity from within the United States. So they recognize that and they're and it looks like the Russians are they've zeroed in on how to get the U.S. to destroy itself. And, you know, electing Donald Trump as president was a hell of a gift for their efforts. Talk a little bit about the seriousness of what Russia is doing and the kinds of things that as as voters and as Americans, just everyday folks, what they should be looking for in these Russian disinformation efforts because they're all around us in ways that I don't think a lot of people even realize. What should they look for and why is this so important? Yeah, Tara, that's a super question. And, you know, I wrote a piece uh an op-ed a couple of weeks back, and it was titled "The Man, the Accidental Manchurian Candidate." So, and it was about Donald Trump and his malfeasance. You know, if the Chinese or the Russians had set out, like in a Hollywood blockbuster movie, to plant somebody into the presidency to destabilize, you know, the world's only superpower, <laughs> uh, they couldn't have done it. Any, any more uh, potently than Donald Trump. Uh, and that's why I called him the accidental Manchurian candidate in that he's here. Uh, he was obviously supported by Russia. 
in his uh, in his election. Uh, but the way he is, and you, you framed it very well, the way he has destabilised the institutions of the United States, uh, the way he's fractured the um, um, the way we talk to each other and look at each other, uh, the, the culture of the United States is extraordinary. And that is everything that the Chinese, the Russians, and to a lesser extent, the uh, Iranians are doing on a day-to-day basis. So if you're the, you know, if you're listening at home or in the car, uh, to the podcast, just be wary if you're on Twitter or on Facebook, who is following you? Uh, you know, I know since I became active doing this, uh, I've got, I must have, you know, 5,000 Russian bots following me now uh, that are going to hit me with disinformation and post out things and put things into my timeline uh, that would suggest that I'm either advocating for that position or uh, support a certain position. Um, So folks need to be wary of that. They need to be wary of engaging uh, with with any of these so-called organisations that... um, and, and, you know, it may not all be Trump. I mean, the, there's nothing to say the Iranians couldn't go and support a libertarian candidate or a, someone else just to throw a spanner in the uh, in the works or, or a Kanye West kind of deal. Um, they just have to look at everything through, you know, don't, don't look at it through rose-coloured glasses just because it's online or it's stated by the president. Uh, certainly doesn't mean it's true. And you just have to understand... You know, and you look at the COVID issue right now, how that has just, you know, wrecked or racked the country, not wrecked the country, racked the country. Uh, you know, you've got to wonder if this is some kind of, and I'm not getting into conspiracy theory, uh, you know, whether it's just all the dominoes have fallen into place, you know, coincidentally for the Chinese and the Russians, or whether this is part of a broader uh, a picture here. But certainly, uh, I don't think the United States certainly in, in my uh, time as a citizen, which is, you know, the last decade or so, um, has been in a more vulnerable place uh, defensively or national security-wise than it is right now. And we would be in that position with COVID notwithstanding, simply the way Donald Trump has undermined uh, the military, he's undermined the standing of the intelligence community, and our adversaries, Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, all see that and they are all doing everything they can to uh, leverage that uh, as much as possible and people just need to be mindful and take a lot of this stuff that they uh, see coming out of uh, you know twitter and things with a grain of salt unless of course it comes from you or i (laughs) that's right well we're not part of a a russian bot operation for disinformation and destabilization that's for sure so as if you didn't think that greg keely wasn't cool enough during our conversation here. Um, There's something else besides what you're doing with AMSEC that you are doing that is not only entrepreneurial, but it helps military veterans and others. And um, talk about your CBD business and how you got into it. Right, Uh, thanks, Harry. Yeah, On Duty USA, uh, we formed about two years ago. Um, It's a CBD, hemp, lifestyle business, whatever you wanna call it. and the whole impetus behind it was, you know, I was taking, you know, six or seven different, you know, medications for everything from, you know, traumatic brain injuries to sleeplessness, et cetera, et cetera. Anyhow, 
uh, I was at a, a, you know, a, a PTSD work group or something, and one of the guys mentioned CBD. So I went and investigated it, didn't know anything about it. Uh, I tried it. I felt like I was like, you know, taking drugs or something. Uh, <laughs> but it worked for me, and within... I was like, well, if this worked for me, it's going to work for everyone else. So uh, I then linked up with a friend of mine at University of Kentucky, Dr. Taylor Bright, and we started On Duty USA. And we now uh, manufacture uh, CBD products, both um, um, full spectrum and uh, THC-free products, uh, which we uh, then you know, provide to uh, military folks. And we have all sorts of things, lotions, oils, all that sort of stuff, which is great for inflammation, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera. So, um, but the, the whole uh, you know, big part of this was making sure we helped veterans because they're people that wouldn't normally take CBD. I didn't even know what it was. So, uh, you know, a lot of our mission has been education. Uh, we employ veterans, uh, over 80%, maybe 85% of our workforce now uh, are veterans that have all served or, or families of veterans. So, um, you know, kids or, or spouses. Um, and all our farmers are veterans. So uh, it's, it's really cool. So it's, it's veterans making products to help other veterans and uh, uh, things like that. So we're really proud of where it is. It's on duty USA. Uh, you can go to our website. And you know what? We're going to set up a 20% discount for your folks. All they have to do is put in the word Tara at checkout and they'll get 25% off. How's well, that's, that? That's wonderful. Um, and I hope that that people who are listening who deal with inflammation and pain and uh, are looking who are looking for more natural ways to treat that do in fact visit your website because uh, my mom swears by CBD and now that I know that you have this business uh, I will make sure that she she patronizes it and I will as well I've had two knee surgeries and sometimes I do inflammation yeah it's it's been um, a pain in the ass you know I'm, I'm, I was an athlete as a kid and as as I've gotten over forty, the the aches and pains don't go away like they used to. And I no, they don't. Right, and I'm not a big painkiller person. I don't like that. Right. So anytime I can find something that is that that treats inflammation naturally, um, I'm all for it. And I was like you, where when I first heard people pushing CBD and hemp products and stuff, I was like. I'm not doing that. It's like taking drugs, you know? Right. <laughs> and, Me too. Uh, right. And I had to be educated on that. And again, back to my time with Dana Rohrbacher, he was a big, big advocate for the decriminalization of marijuana and a big supporter of hemp products because like, you know, when you worked for Ed Royce in California, hemp farming is a big crop for California. And the, the regulations behind um, producing hemp products were crazy. It's like you could farm it, but yeah, you couldn't produce it. You couldn't make the products, right. and it was just be it was ridiculous. And over time, over the years, uh, with the popularity of CBD and and people realizing the scientific efficacy of it, um, some of that has opened up. So I'm thrilled to see that you've taken advantage of that, and that you're also doing it not only um, taking advantage of the wonderful free market capitalism that we have in the U.S. But that you're- <laughs> God bless it. But also that you're helping uh, veterans and and employing them as well. Uh, That's that's fantastic. So for folks that want to do that, please make sure you visit. It's onduty.com. No, ondutyusa.com. USA, I'm sorry, ondutyusa.com. And And they can remember that everything we uh, put in it is made at the University of Kentucky 
everything we grow is grown in Kentucky. There is no no foreign stuff. There's no pesticides. It's it's all uh, you know. It's as natural as it can get, and it's all American made. And that's important too, because there are a lot of CBD products out there that are not uh, as pure. And without the uh, enhancements or diluted, there's a lot, you know, you get Chinese products and places from, yeah. you know, products from other places that aren't authentic. And, um, you know, for sure, if it's coming from Greg Keeley, it is authentic and uh, made in the USA, which is even better. So. Greg Healy, thank you so much for what you guys are doing, for stepping up to the plate and defending America again in ways that you probably did not imagine when you first took your oath of office (laughs) (laughs) in the military. Thank you so much for your service. And um, how can people find you, get involved? Um, Because I'm sure there are people listening that are thinking, what a wonderful organization. And anyone that has the coolest Australian accent like this guy is someone I want to follow and listen to. So how can they get involved with CAMSEC? Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Harry. Yeah, my my Twitter um, handle is uh, Lieutenant Commander Keeley, but it's just LCDR Keeley, K-E-E-L-E-Y, LCDR Keeley. Um, and then our website for CAMSEC, and you can find us there as well, is just CAMSEC, C-A-M-S-E-C dot org. Uh, and if folks can go to the site. They can sign up to help write op-eds, letters to the editor. Uh, we'll help you with those uh, things. We just had uh, Carrie uh, in Fort Leavenworth, who's a military spouse, wrote an amazing letter, which was uh, published uh, all through Canvas uh, this past week. Um, and you can see that letter on our website, uh, you can see op-eds from our, you know, from our um, ambassadors and our our board of governors. You know, Lieutenant General Andre, uh, John Sandwig, etc. Uh, Ambassador um, Patricia Moller. Uh, they've they've all got information up there, and we would love to have you involved. Social media, anything you can do. Every, you know, as you said before, Tara, every single vote in November is going to count. Mm-hmm. And for people to go, ah. Oh, I don't like Donald, uh, I don't like uh, Donald Trump, but I can't vote for Joe Biden. Well, yeah, you can, because if you don't, you're going to get another four years of Donald Trump, and that's the bottom line. You can be as, you know, head up your ass as you want. Uh, if you don't, you know, John Bolton said, "Oh well, I'm not going to vote for Donald Trump, but I'm not going to vote for <laughs> Joe Biden." Well, don't be such a lily-livered dickwad mm-hmm. and go out and vote for the guy that can put Donald Trump out of office. That's if you right. want to go back to being a super conservative, breastfeeding Republican after that, <laughs> fine, great. You should be able to do that. But just get this guy out of office. That's, That's right. It. That's right. And um, I think those descriptors are well well placed for John Bolton. I'm so over him. Um, and oh, my God. So uh, in, the, in the words of the Honorable Greg Keeley, listen, people, don't keep your head up your ass and get out there and get involved <laughs> and let's vote Donald Trump the hell out of office. Uh, Greg Keeley, yeah, thank man. you. Thank you so much, my friend. Keep up the great work. And um, you guys are a, a nonprofit, right? So if you want to donate money, yes, it's tax deductible. Um, are You're putting up ads and things. So that helps get the word out and amplifies the mission of, of CAMSEC, the um, Council on American Security. So let's help them out, folks. Let's do our part um, since they're doing theirs. Greg Keeley, thank you so much. You're a great American. God bless you and what you guys are doing. Thank you, Tara. Really enjoyed it.
Again, a big shout out and thank you to my friend Greg Keeley and uh, for spending some time and talking about what he's doing. And also um, to reiterate, please support his CBD oil business. Um, that was something I didn't know about him until later on. And I know how successful CBD oil has been to treat veterans. And my mom uses it. She even uses it for her dog um, to help with her dog's uh, stiff hips. So um OnDutyUSA.com. That's OnDutyUSA.com for Greg Keeley's CBD oil company. And he gave you the promo code and you can get a discount off of the products if you're a listener of Honestly Speaking, which I think was pretty cool of him to do. I'm all about supporting small business owners, especially those that help veterans. And it's for a good cause. So thank you again for listening to this week's edition of Honestly Speaking. Be sure to follow me on social media and I'll be back next week to give my assessment of the RNC, which should be an interesting shit show. (laughs) Mark my words. Everybody stay safe.